I prefer using the other mic, but I can't get it on my ear right now, so that's that's why I'm using this one. But tonight uh, we are in Romans, not Romans, John chapter 8, and we're going to look at a very familiar section of Scripture to many of us that we know as the woman called an adultery. But I want to look at it from a little different angle. Often when we look at this section of Scripture, we see Jesus and His forgiveness and our call to be forgiving. But I want to look at it from the other angle. The Pharisees. The people who were uh, against Jesus. The people that Jesus ended up spending most of his time rebuking. And the sad thing as we look at it is they're just good church people that got so into church that they miss Christ. And so we're going to look at that tonight. So let's uh, turn to John chapter 8, read those first 11 verses, and we'll ask you to stand in God's honor as I read the text. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery that made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With a woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray as we look at this section of scripture, Father, that you might speak to our hearts and remind us how there's no substitute for remembering the cross and remembering what we're forgiven of, Lord. We don't hold the answers, but we are held by the one who does. And, and so just speak to our hearts tonight as we take some time to look at your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, years ago, I had someone that worked with a youth in a church where we served. And he liked to do things his way, and sometimes it got into some trouble because I'd try to talk to him, and he was just so convinced that's the only way to do things. And it was interesting, though, because he said a quote, which I thought, wow, that's very insightful. But, I, you know, it's what he was doing, or I felt. And, and here's the quote. I've shared it a lot. I'm sure I'll probably share it from the pulpit. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals Rebellion. When you start putting out rules, but there's no relationship, it's not going to work. You see, Jesus made us all relational. 
And, 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 you know, of course, there's a relationship with Him. We're called to look up, you know, to the hills from which come our help and beyond those hills to the Lord God Himself. And we're called to look out because we're made to be connected to God and to each other. And, of course, that forms the cross. When it's together, it's the cross. And it's, we're, it's about relationships, and you can't take relationships out of the equation. When we begin to follow rules and we don't love people, then we run the risk of becoming Pharisees. And anyway, we're going, you know, we're going to look tonight at the Scripture. We're going to look at three areas here as we look at the Pharisees. These three areas that really upset Jesus. And I think we need to examine our own lives and to make sure that we don't fall prey to these areas either in our walk. Um, someone has said a modern some modern uh, words about Pharisees today. And let me take a minute here. And trying to get everything together here. Hold on a second. Joy of technology here. I hadn't memorized these, so I had to bring these up. You might be a Pharisee if your official title is longer than your given name. Just thought. You're willing to be merciful once. No more, just once. You have two dogs named Faithful and True, and they're both killer pit bulls. Everyone outside your immediate circle and most within it are wrong. You might be a Pharisee if God's still small voice sounds exactly like your voice. And you might be a Pharisee if you know the word of God, but not the God of the word. Our call is relationship. It's to hear his voice. And it's to share that message that doesn't mean there are no rules. It just means rules only make sense in the context of relationship. After all, what did Jesus say about all the commandments? He said they're summed up twofold. You guys remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love has to be there. And love flows through relationship. You know, it's not just some uh, philosophical idea that just floats around. Oh, I'm in love and I feel love. No, it's connected to people. It's something that's hands-on that that has some concrete to it. Uh, One of the worst things we can be accused of is to be a Pharisee. I remember years ago at church camp, some of y'all may remember that song, Don't Want to Be a Pharisee. Uh, He says, uh, I don't want to be a Pharisee, don't want to be a Pharisee, because they're not fair, you see. Don't want to be a Pharisee. Bad, just want to be a sheep. Bad. God, guard us against that. He said, God said, the way they see Jesus is through the way we love each other. They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. And they'll also miss him when we don't love each other. So we need to be careful. Um through that. So let's look at these three areas here. First area, first one here, 
Rules become more important than people. Rules become more important than people. As we notice here in John chapter 8, it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The time is dawn in verse 2, and he appeared again in the temple courts, the place of religious worship where those hung out who had a zeal and a passion for God. These are not people who don't care about God. These are people who care deeply about God, and they want everybody else to know how deeply they care about God. There is a passion there. He he gathered there, and Jesus sat down to teach them, and, and were introduced to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they brought in a woman caught in adultery. Here's the deal. The woman's not mentioned by name. They don't care about the woman. There's no compassion for the plight of this woman. Yeah, they they got the rule down. She was called an adultery. She's guilty. She's a sinner. But the truth of the matter is, she's nothing more than just part of a well-thought-out plot to try to trap Jesus. They didn't care about her. She was unimportant. They were more concerned about the rules than they were about the relationship that God wanted them to have. She was just part of an object lesson. Notice what they did. It says uh, that they made her stand before the group. They just wanted to humiliate her. They didn't care about her feelings. They didn't care about her dignity. They didn't care about her Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Yeah, just just humiliate her. Just let it be known before the group. It says in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And here it's revealed in verse 6. They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And the truth of the matter is, they did not have the authority at that moment, to stone her because they had been conquered by the Romans. The death penalty would only come through the command of the Romans. Remember when Jesus was crucified, he had to be brought before Pilate. He had to be passed through the law of that land. Why? Because they weren't in control. They weren't in charge. So this wasn't about actually stoning the woman. This was a trap that was set in order to humiliate Jesus in order to trap and accuse Jesus. You see, if if he said, yes, the woman should be stoned, he'd be accused of sympathizing with the Romans, and they hated the Romans. So they were trying to marginalize him by making him a friend of the Romans. If he said no, she shouldn't be stoned, then he'd be accused of not following the law. Of, of not having a real zeal for God. And, and so the truth of the matter is, either way, he was going to be accused, and either way, they were trying to humiliate him. And the fact of the matter is, they were just after trying to elevate themselves and trying to knock Jesus down a notch. In 2 Peter 3.9, we're told that the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to 
perish. And the problem is we always have to examine ourselves and our rules and our traditions and what we love, not because they don't have value, but because we're not to worship our traditions and our rituals. We're to worship Jesus and we're to love people. And sometimes we need to just step back and ask a question. When I do this, do I love Jesus? And when I do this, do I love people? And if the answer is no to either one of those, then we need to re-examine why we're doing it. For the Pharisees, it was just to elevate their own religiousness, just to look good among themselves. Second issue that tripped them up that often happens. They were good, passionate, zealous believers in God. But they believed that they were right. So much to the point that they weren't willing to listen to God. Matter of fact, their own voice became the voice of God. What a dangerous place to be when we're no longer teachable. Uh, Someone has said as Christians we need to be fat, which means faithful, available, and teachable. In other words, we need to be humble enough to know that only God has all the answers. And so we need to seek Him through His Word, and we need to seek Him in prayer. And sometimes we're not right. But he's right. Matter of fact, whenever you come to a point to where you have a disagreement with a brother or sister, now I'm not talking about something that's clear in the scriptures. I'm not trying to get into that. But something that's a preference. Because, you know, I always like to say there's a difference between preferences and convictions. Preferences are things like, I, you know, I enjoy this type of setting or music or way to do ministry. Or, but a conviction is like, The resurrection. You take the resurrection out of the gospel, it says that we're to be pitied above all. You can't take that out. But we have to be careful when we take our preferences and and, and try to say, man, if you don't do it this way, you're not a Christian. And if you don't like this, then you're not a believer. Hey, look, what makes you a Christian is understanding that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for you and that there's forgiveness and there is hope. And you turn to Jesus. That's it. It's not what we do. It's what He's done that makes the ultimate difference. And and, and so, you know, this idea that God's on my side and He's not on yours, when there's a disagreement, just doesn't work. And the third one is sins can be hidden as long as rules are followed. So it's rules are more important than people. Are you always right? And sins can be hidden as long as rules are followed. If we're not careful, we can be hung up on all the good things that we're doing. That we can miss the sins that are in our lives. And we can be fooled into thinking that they'll be hidden. There's a verse in Hebrews 4.13 It says, everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It may be hidden now, but there'll be a day when it won't be hidden. There'll be a day when it'll be disclosed. It'll be made known. So to think that as long as I go to church or as long as I give, I won't be found out. 
It's just not true. What Jesus said to these Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, 28, He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. In magic, um, one of the uh, basic tricks is misdirection. Where, you know, they have an object in one hand and they get you to put your full attention on the opposite hand while that hand shifts something or moves it somewhere else so that your attention's focused in the wrong place. And it's really a sense of misdirection to think that we can hide our sins and not come clean before God because He knows they're there. He, He knows what's going on. And we should follow Him. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13, the first couple of verses, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I have rules but I don't have love in my life, I'm just annoying. Just an annoying racket is what that amounts to. People don't want to hear an annoying racket. They want to hear the music of forgiveness and the music of a new start and the music of a new life and the music of a relationship that cares and that's concerned and that ultimately makes a difference. And that's what Paul is trying to share there. You know, as you look in the Scriptures, uh, sometimes in this culture... There's a permissiveness that goes too far. Yes, Jesus forgives us, but he also calls us to repentance, which means we're called to turn from our sin. We're called to turn his direction. And the forgiveness demands repentance. There's no such thing as a forgiveness that does not make a turn toward God. It's not just about being forgiven. It's about being forgiven from sin and turning to righteousness. And and the two go together. You can't disconnect them. Notice what uh, he said in verse 11. Well, verse 10 and 11, he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And notice what Jesus said to her. Go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't say to her, you're forgiven. What did he say? He said, go leave your life of sin. You see, she didn't come to Jesus willingly. She was forced to come. She was forced to have her sin made public. And although I'm sure she's grateful that her life was spared, she still wasn't ready to change her direction. And so Jesus He confronted her. He said, you need to change your direction. In other words, you need to repent. He says, life is about turning toward me. It's not just turning away from your sin. It's turning toward me. It's a change of direction. Leave your life of sin. Uh, John 3.16, we quote all the time. It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His 
only begotten Son is one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The next verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. It's about Christ making a change, taking up residence in the heart, and, and, and making us new people. Listen, this is from uh, Romans 6, the first couple of verses. It says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, that you're to change. You're to turn direction toward God. That's not to be what marks your life. That's not going to be the habitual acts of your life. Instead, the direction you're headed is be toward God. Not, not towards sin that you're forgiven of. How can you live in any longer? He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Baptism is identification. Don't you know that you're identified now with Jesus Christ? That's what is to mark you, is Jesus and His life. Being baptized into His death, you're brought forth into His life. He says, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Amen. That's the call. It's not about how good I am. It's about how loved I am. And how loved you are. Um. I'll close with this story. I shared it with Mark, maybe a couple other people. I, I went to a state convention uh, meeting. I can't keep track of time. Maybe two weeks ago now. And uh, the guy who's head of the state convention spoke. and He said, I'm going to talk about something totally different than I planned on talking about. He said, I felt the call to ministry in high school. And I really struggled with it. And he said, my grandfather was a very accomplished home builder in the area where I grew up in eastern North Carolina. Um, very successful and made a lot of money, but he didn't finish high school, and he really wanted me to you know, get a job where I could make a lot of money. He said, so I can remember when I was graduating high school, I sat with my grandfather, and he said, uh, Brian, what are you going to do? And he said, uh, Grandpa, I think I'm going to be a preacher. And he said he just kind of looked at him. I mean, he didn't say anything, but he said he just kind of gave him the look like, oh, really? That's what you're going to do? Okay. <laughs> and so he said, he, you know, he went on to college and he studied and then he went to seminary. And, you know, he said his grandfather was never one that went to church. He said, now his grandmother did. She was at church, but his grandfather was going, eh. You know, I, I kind of believe in God, but I don't really have time for the church stuff. And so anyway, while he was at seminary one day, he gets a phone call from his parents that said, uh, something's wrong with your grandfather. He wants to meet with the whole family. And Brian said, you know, I thought, man, he, he must have a terminal disease. And he must be dying. I mean, why else would he call the whole family together? But he, at the time, there was some conflict, and he wasn't able to get there at that time. And, and so anyway, his parents decided they were going to drive over to the seminary after the meeting and, and talk to Brian and his wife. 
And he said, they came in there and they said, your grandfather's not dying. He said, you will not believe this. You will not believe what has happened. He's like, what happened? He said, well, he says, your grandfather got us all together in a room. He said, uh, years ago when I was in the army, uh, I met this girl. and She got pregnant. I ran away. And now your brother has found me. And I'm not going to try to hide this. I just want you to know you've got a brother. Brian said he gets a letter from his grandfather that says, Can you ever forgive me? I'm such a hypocrite. And he wrote him back and said, "Uh, Grandfather, I I love you. I said, And that's what the gospel's about. It's about a new start. It's about being forgiven. It's about finding a God that is there for you even when you think everybody else has left. That's what it's about. Anyway, he said uh, some time passed, and he said the pastor of that little church out in the country in East North Carolina went over there, and he visited his grandfather. And right there, his grandfather gave his heart to Jesus. He's in his 70s. He said when it came time for the baptism, he said he got up in front of the church and he said, I've been hearing a lot about this Jesus that forgives people. And the reason I'm here this morning is I want that forgiveness in my life. And so he was, he was baptized and that little church came to Christ in his 70s. And uh, his grandson Brian said he came uh, and spoke at a revival in that church. And he said, on the back row, he said, uh, there was his grandparents. And his grandfather, who didn't care about church at all, was back there, preach it! Amen! Get them, brother! And he said, and his grandmother just had this smile on her face. You see, that's grace. It's, it's not about the rules Although the rules matter, but the rules only matter in context of the fact that they draw us in relationship to Jesus and to one another. And when they lose that significance, we've lost it because it's about salvation. You know, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, it's the power of God among those who are being saved. We become Pharisees when we lose track of the fact I need to be rescued. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you've called us not only from sin, but to you. And we have a mission for as long as we're left. And that's to live for you. Not only to turn from sin, but to turn to you. Father, may we not lose sight of that. May we not become Pharisees, teachers that are more determined to show others how much we know than who we know. May that not happen, God. May we as a people here never lose sight of the fact that we need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. (laughs) He walks with me and He talks with me. 
Father, may that be our call. May that be what people see when they look at King's Way. May they see the King's Way being followed. That's our heart, God. I pray this time we call invitation. Would just be yours. Do business with our hearts, Lord. Help us take a new look at that old, old story and the grace that's there. May we look to you and may we find mercy once again. Christ's name we pray. Amen.